Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 3, and on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, just verse by verse, chapter by chapter, studying it, uh, just taking our time learning about it, and uh, tonight we're starting chapter 3. We're not going to go through the entire chapter tonight. We'll go through about half of it, and then we'll finish the other half next week, Uh, but what I want you to notice as we go through Ephesians 3 tonight is that Ephesians chapter 3 uh, and, and the section that we'll be dealing with, the first part of it, is uh, really a continuation of chapter 2. And the theme that was in chapter 2 is what Paul is continuing to talk about here in chapter 3. And Paul begins by talking about how God revealed to him a mystery. Notice verse number 1. The Bible says this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me, To you, word, and we're going to come back to that verse later on. Notice verse 3, how that by revelation. Now, if you remember on Sunday nights when we're going through our doctrinal series, this last Sunday night we actually talked about the doctrine of the Word of God, and we we spent the last couple of Sunday nights talking about revelation and how God reveals Himself to mankind and how God specifically reveals Himself through His Word. And this is what we're talking about. This is what Paul's talking about, that by revelation... He made known unto me the mystery. And Paul is, of course, an apostle, one of the writers of the New Testament, and that God revealed to him something that he would not have known otherwise. It's it's something that God revealed to him that God gave him to make known to us. Notice how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. And then he says, as I wrote afore in in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And he's talking about the fact that he's already kind of written about this, especially in chapter 2, and he's been explaining this, and he says, I want you to understand this, and I want you to get this. So I'm going to give you three points tonight uh, to kind of outline this chapter, if you'd like to write those down. And I'd, of course, encourage you always to take notes, especially in these Bible studies. There's going to be a lot of verses we're going to be looking at. And point number one, of course, is the mystery of Christ. In this passage, we see the mystery of Christ. And I want you to notice that this mystery that Paul is referring to, uh, he, he kind of develops it. I'm going to explain it to you, but notice verse 5. Uh, and he, in verse 5, he talks about the fact that the mystery was made known or is made known in the New Testament and was not made known in the Old Testament. Now, notice verse 5. He says this, which in other ages, meaning at other times, was not made known. He's talking about this mystery. He says, in other ages, this mystery was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he says, look, there was a time when this mystery wasn't made known in the way that it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now keep your place here in Ephesians 3. Obviously, that's our text for tonight. We're going to come back to it. But go to Colossians chapter number 1. Now, if you're there in Ephesians, you're going to go Philippians and then Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm not going to take the time to go through all of the verses dealing with this mystery, but I do want you to notice, I'll show you one, and as you read through the New Testament, you'll find that this is actually a common theme, especially in Paul's writings, about the mystery and making known the mystery and this mystery that God revealed to him. Colossians chapter 1, if you're there in in, uh, Colossians, you have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1, look at verse 26. Notice what the Bible says. Even the mystery, and of course, this is another of Paul's writings, even the mystery which hath been hid, notice, from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. He says there's a mystery that used to be hid, and now it's made manifest to his saints. 
Notice verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery. And here's, of course, a hint to what mystery is all about. Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's talking about this mystery, Paul, in, in, in chapter 3. And you can go back to Ephesians. Actually, go to the book of Exodus, if you would. In the Old Testament, you have Genesis and Exodus. He's talking about this mystery of Christ. And he's saying the mystery is made known in the New Testament. It's revealed to the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament, but it was not known in the Old Testament. Now, in order for you to understand the mystery that Paul is talking about, you're going to have to stand, understand uh, the Old Testament and how the Old Testament works. And, and something that uh, maybe is not as well known, uh, maybe you know this, but maybe you don't, so I want to cover it, and it's this. In the Old Testament, in order for someone to uh, convert to uh, become a, a believer in the God of the Bible. In order for someone to convert into calling upon the name of the Lord and, and becoming a follower of Jehovah God, of, of the God of the Old Testament, of course, we're talking about in the Old Covenant. In order for that to happen in the Old Testament, the plan for the Old Testament was that people would have to become an Israelite or they would have to become a Jew in order to be part of of the people of God, of the children of God. Now, let me show that to you, Exodus chapter 12. And, and again, this is all throughout the Old Testament, and um, I'm just going to show you a few examples. Exodus chapter 12. And, you know, sometimes you, you, you explain this to people and, and they don't understand it or, or they don't think about it, but the way you need to think about it or kind of the way to help you make sense of it is that in the Old Testament... God kind of used nations and specifically the nation of Israel in the same way that God today in the New Testament uses churches. Now, you don't have to join a church to be saved, but the idea is this, that the nation of Israel was supposed to be this vessel on earth to reach people with the message of the Bible. They were the ones that were giving the oracles of God. They were the ones that were given the priest. They were given the temple. They were giving access to God, and they were supposed to make that known. Now, the way that, and you know this from the Bible, the way it worked out was that the Jews and the nation of Israel basically began to look at Gentiles as inferior and actually, you know, kept uh, their distance from them, but they were supposed to be reaching out to them and bringing those people in to become the people of God, the children of Israel. Now, what I'm, what I'm going to teach you goes against what most... Uh, Christians believe today, especially those who believe in dispensationalism, because today Christians will tell you, no, you know, the Israel's always been Israel, and the Gentiles have always been different, and God doesn't want them mixed, and God doesn't want them together. But here's the problem with that, is that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible says, and I'll prove it to you. Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 43. Now in Exodus 12, we've got the Mosaic Law. This is God giving His commandments to the people. Exodus 12, 43, the Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. Now, we talked about the ordinance of the Passover last time, and, uh, uh, and I'm not going to get into that. But notice, he gives them this ordinance, right? It's symbolic, it's ceremonial, it's religious. It's, it's a, a religious ritual. And then he says this, There shall no stranger eat thereof. Now, in the Old Testament, a stranger is just a foreigner 
an alien, a foreigner, someone from a different country. And when someone from a different country would come into the nation of Israel, they were not allowed to do certain things. They were not allowed to partake of the Passover. They were not allowed to uh, 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 be part of the religious practices, the feast. They were not allowed to do any of the temple sacrifices or worship. They were uh, uh, foreigners outside of the nation of Israel. But in verse, and I'm not going to take the time to read all this because I've got a lot to show you tonight, but uh, skip down to verse 48. Exodus 12, 48. I want you to notice that in the Bible, there is a classification of a certain type of foreigner that would come into the nation of Israel. Exodus 12 and verse 48. Notice what the Bible says. And when a stranger... Now, we just read that God said, look, if a stranger is in the land and it's Passover time, you don't let them partake of the Passover. You don't let them take part in it. They, they're not the children of God. They're not the nation of Israel. This is for the nation of Israel. But then in verse 48, he says this, And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee... Now, this is a different qual, uh, 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 classification of stranger. This is a stranger who's sojourning with the nation of Israel, meaning they've decided to go ahead and be part of the nation of Israel. They're going to do life with Israel. They're sojourning with them. They're not just visiting or passing through, but they're part, they, they want to be part of the people. Notice verse 48. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and notice, will keep the Passover to the Lord, meaning they want to keep the Passover, meaning they want to worship the God of the Old Testament, meaning they want to worship Jehovah God. Notice, and when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he, notice these words, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. So notice the Bible tells us here in Exodus 12, 48, God gave instructions for how someone who was not a physical descendant of Abraham, someone who was not born to the children of Israel, could become a part of the nation of Israel, even though they were a stranger and a foreigner. If they chose to sojourn with the children of Israel, they could partake in the Passover. Now they had to do certain things. All the males had to be circumcised. And But notice what it says there in verse 48, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. Notice, God says he's not going to be any different than you. They're going to be exactly like you, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Now he says, look, if a stranger is just visiting, they're just passing through, don't let them take the Passover. They can't, uh, no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. But if they want to sojourn with you, if they want to be a part of you, then they can get circumcised, they can do these certain things, and they be, can become as, uh, he says, he shall be as one that is born in the land. Notice verse 49. One law shall be to him that is home-born, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Notice he emphasizes the fact that he says, look, if you're born in the nation of Israel, or if you're a stranger that is sojourning among you, I don't want you to treat them differently. He said, I want you to treat them the same. One law shall be to him. He said, they're going to be, uh, they sh he shall be as one that is born in the land. You're going to treat them as if they were born in the land when they convert to the religion of, of the Old Testament, to the nation of Israel, to those things. Let me give you some other examples. Go to Numbers chapter 15. You're there in Exodus. You go to Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 15. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 15. Notice what the Bible says in verse 13. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 13. The Bible says this. All that are born of the country shall do these things after this manner. 
and offering an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if a stranger, now notice, not any stranger, a stranger sojourn with you, someone who decided, I want to live here, I want to be part of your people, I want to make your God my God. He says, and if a stranger sojourn with you, whosoever be among you in your generations, and will offer an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord, as ye do, so he shall do. Notice verse 15. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourneth with you an ordinance forever in your generations. Notice, as ye are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. And here's all I'm showing you is that it was clear that the plan that God had when he set up the nation of Israel was not for the nation of Israel to have this little huddle and say it's us four and no more and it's just us and everybody else they're all a bunch of dirtbags. The whole point was for them to live under the laws of God, to live by the principles of God, and that they would uh, really show forth how life was supposed to be lived, how a government should run, how a nation should run, and that strangers, foreigners, would look at that and say, hey, I want to be a part of that. I'd like to, you know, it's not working out here with the Philistines or the Edomites or whatever. I want to go be part of that nation. I want to serve that God. And then when they would come, they would say, sure, you can convert to us, but you have to become one of us. And they would get circumcised, and they would do certain things, and they would become the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, the way that someone converted to believing and to trusting and to having faith in the God of the nation of Israel, Jehovah God, they had to become part of the nation of Israel. They had to become an Israelite. Or uh, even you might use the terminology of Jew by the time that the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom were divided, the northern kingdom was taken away. Let me give you another example. Go to uh, the book of Ruth. You're there in uh, Numbers. Go to Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. And look at verse 16. Now remember Ruth, she was a Moabitess. She was a Gentile. Now Ruth actually ends up being in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth be, ends up being the uh, uh, great-grandmother of King David. She's actually in the line, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ has several uh, Gentile women in, in his lineage. But notice Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. Remember, remember uh, Ruth was a Moabitess. She was in Moab, she, and her, her husband dies. Uh, her husband's brother dies. Her, her in-law, her father-in-law dies. Naomi decides to go back to the nation of Israel. Naomi's actually trying to get them to stay. Notice verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest. This is Ruth saying to Naomi. And this is Ruth's really Old Testament salvation testimony. She said, Whither thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Notice, Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. She said, I'm rejecting the gods of the Moabites. I'm rejecting false religion. I'm rejecting uh, uh, false worship. She said, I'm going to make your God my God. But in order to do that, she had to make her people my people. She said, I will lodge. He said, thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Verse 17, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if thou ought but death part thee and me. And here's all I'm showing you. In the Old Testament, the way that people followed the God of the Bible, 
And, and, and believe, you know, salvation has always been faith and calling upon the Lord. But in order to follow Him, in order to be His disciple, to use New Testament terminology, they had to become part of the nation of Israel. Go to uh, uh, Esther, chapter 8. You're there in Ruth. You're going to go past 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Now, in the book of Esther, we already have the divided kingdom. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom has been divided. And the northern kingdom's basically been destroyed. The southern kingdom's been put out into, uh, into bondage. And you've got Esther and Mordecai. They're all living in Gentile world. And of course, you know the whole story of Esther. Um, I'm not going to take the time to go through all of it. But notice, at the end of the book, when Esther and Mordecai and, and, and they win, notice what happens. Esther chapter 8, verse 17. And in every province... And in every city, keep in mind, Esther's living, this is, this, is, this is Persia, this is Gentile country, and in every province and in every city, whether soever the king commanded, and his decree came, Esther 8.17, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, notice, and many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Many of the people just said, forget the gods of the Persians, we want to worship your God. We want, to, And they went through that process and they uh, did those things in order to become part of the nation of Israel. Now, here's the reason I'm telling you all that. You need to understand that context to be able to understand Ephesians chapter number 3 and the mystery of, the Lord, of, of Christ that Paul is explaining. Now, go with me to the book of uh, Ephesians, if you would, Ephesians chapter 3. In the Old Testament... You converted to following the God of Jehovah God, the God of the Old Testament, by becoming part of the nation of Israel or by becoming a Jew, uh, you know, depending on the time frame there uh, as, as to how they were called. When we enter into the New Testament, and, and, and maybe understanding that might help you understand the book of Acts, because when you read the book of Acts and when you read the epistles by Paul, you find this, this, this struggle with New Testament believers, Jewish believers, I mean, guys that we know are saved, like Peter, right? Like James. You, you, in the book of Acts, it seems like they're really struggling with this idea. They, they clearly preach the gospel, and they tell people how to be saved, but then it seems like they keep trying to make those people Jews. I mean, that's what all, Acts 15, right? That big council in, in Jerusalem, that big debate that they had. What was all that about? The fact that these Jewish believers who really were saved just kind of kept struggling with this idea like, yeah, but do we have to make them do Jewish type things? And the reason that they struggled with that, the reason that Peter himself, remember Paul said that he had to confront Peter to the face because he uh, uh, was mistreating the Gentiles, and he was uh, 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 going with the Jews and all these things. You know, the reason that they had that struggle is because in the entire Old Testament, in order to follow the God of the Bible, you had to become a Jew. You had to become part of the nation of Israel. You got circumcised, and you did the Passover, and you did the washings, and you did the Sabbath, and you did the moons, and all the whole nine yards. You did all that, and then we come into the New Testament, and the, these guys have grown up with that. That's all they've ever known. And even though they understand salvation is by faith through, uh, uh, you know, by grace through faith, and not of works, and it's calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they keep trying to put this like Jewish burden on them because that's what they've known from the Old Testament. And here's what Paul is teaching them: Paul is teaching them that there is a mystery that was revealed in the New Testament that Old Testament saints would not have known, could not have known, if it wasn't for God revealing it. And what is it? 
Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 6. And actually, look at uh, verse uh, 5 just to get the context again. Ephesians 3, 5. Uh, Let me get there myself. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is it? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. You say, okay, well, we kind of already knew that. But notice, and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now, if you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, and we spent a whole sermon on this, but I'll, I'll go ahead and show it to you again and just try to help you remember. In fact, go to Ephesians 2, just flip one page back, and look at verse number 14. Remember in Ephesians 2, Paul's already established this idea, and it's this. Ephesians 2, look at verse 14. For he, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Notice what it says. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And here's what I want you to understand. In the Old Testament, you had to become a Jew or, or uh, become an Israelite or enter the nation of Israel in order to follow Jehovah God, in order to be, be part of that deal. In the New Testament, you don't have to become, a Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to follow God. Jews don't have to become Gentiles in order to follow God. He does a new thing. He makes a new thing. And what Paul is telling them is this. It's not that they have to become Jews, and it's not that you have to become like them. He says, he takes twain, and he makes a new man. In fact, in the end of Ephesians 2, he said, it's a new body, it's a new temple, it's a new thing. And here's all he's saying. He's saying, the new covenant, the new testament, it's new. It's different. It's not something you've known before. And he says, you would not have known that. He's telling his, the writers, he's saying, you, you, the people reading his epistle, he said, you would not have known that in the Old Testament. Because if you read the Old Testament, you would read these laws where they're being told, well, you got to get circumcised, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you can't take the Passover unless you've sojourned. And you would have read the story of Ruth, and she gives up Moab, and she says, your people will become my people. But he says, it's not that way anymore. He said, they don't have to, they don't have to lose their citizenship. He said, in fact, all of us lose our citizenship and we just become Christians and he says this here's what he says and we'll see it later but he says this in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek he says there is neither bond nor free there is neither male nor female he said for ye are all one in Christ Jesus and here's what he's saying he's saying there's a mystery that God has done something new in the world and that it's not it's not about the nation of Israel anymore And it's not even about the Gentiles anymore. He says, God has done a new thing. Notice again in verse 6. What is it that he does? Three things that he tells us there in verse 6. First is this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Now, keep your place there in Ephesians 3 and go uh, with me to to Galatians chapter number 3. If you go backwards, just one book, you have the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. And look at verse number 26. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, the Bible says this, For ye are all the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to look at verses 27 and 28 here in a second, but look, notice verse 9. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, 
and heirs according to the promise. See, he's telling them, look, the Gentiles, they get to be fellow heirs. With, he's saying New Testament Gentile believers get to be fellow heirs with Old Testament saints. You say, but uh, uh, they're not Abraham's seed. But he says, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed? And heirs according to the promise. Now look, again, today you will have big name Christians. John Hagee, David Jeremiah, you know, these, these prophetic type teachers. And they'll say, you can't, you can't put the promises of Abraham on the church. The, 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 nation, you know, the promises and the covenants and all those things are for the nation of Israel. Don't uh, mix them in with the church. You know, they call it the church, like a universal church. We don't even believe in that. But they'll say, you can't mix these two. The promises are for them. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, there's actually a new thing done that you would have never guessed in the Old Testament, but it's this. There's no more Jews. There's no more nation of Israel. There's no more covenants just to the seed of Abraham. He said, in fact, if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. And he says, look, they say, don't mix them. And he says, what do you mean? He's made of twain one. He says, it's a new man. It's a new temple. It's a new priesthood. And again, I can't get into all these. He says, it's not a Levitical priesthood anymore. He said, you ever heard of a guy named Melchizedek? He said, it's new. And he said, he's made of twain, one new man. And one of the benefits for us is this, that we become fellow heirs. Because if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look, all the promises, all the promises... People often, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, attack us and say, oh, you guys are taking all these promises in the Old Testament out of context. Those are for the nation of Israel. They're not for you. Well, not according to Paul. Paul says, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. All the promises made to Abraham, those apply to you and I today. Why? Because we're in Christ. So he says, look, New Testament believers are fellow heirs with Old Testament saints. He says this, and we're going to just flip back and forth between Galatians 3 and Ephesians 3. Notice verse 6 again. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, number one. Here's number two, and of the same body. And of the same body. He said there's a new body now. It's Christ. He said there's a new body. You're baptized into Christ. You're saved into Christ. He comes into you and you are into him. He said there's a new body for Old Testament saints and New Testament uh, believers. Then he says, number three, notice again in verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and then he says this, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now let's go ahead and develop that just real quickly. Go back to Galatians chapter three, if you would. Galatians chapter three. And uh, look at verse number 13. And I want to just show this to you and, and uh, make sure we get this and we, we understand it. Galatians 3, look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now notice what he says in verse 14. Because here's what all the dispensationalists, the pre-tribbers, the Zionists, they, they'll attack us and say, You're mixing the, new, the church with uh, the nation of Israel. You're mixing the church with Israel. You can't do that. If you haven't read, you haven't you read Darby's book on dispensational, the greatest book on dispensational theology? And it's like, Have you ever read the Bible? Because here's what he says, verse 14. He says, Well, look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Now, they'll say, 
They'll say, oh, we got to bless the nation of Israel because God said that if we bless them, he'll bless us, and if you curse them, he'll curse us. But wait a minute. Does that apply today to a bunch of anti-Christ, Christ-rejecting Jews in the nation of Israel? Who who does that apply to today? Well, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3, Ephesians 3, the entire New Testament, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he says, look, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. How? Through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Notice verse 16. Now to Abraham, don't miss it. Now to Abraham and his seed, which these Zionists would say, yeah, it's all about Abraham's seed. It's all about Abraham's seed. And he says, now wait a minute. Now to Abraham and his, and his seed were the promises made. Then he says this. He says, He saith not unto seeds. See that S at the end of the word there? He says, look, the promise was made to Abraham and his seed. He says, He saith not to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And here's what he's saying. He's saying the promises of Abraham were made to Abraham and to the seed that would come from Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and here's what he's saying, and we're going to get to it in Ephesians 3. It's about Christ. It's always been about Christ. It's only ever been about Christ. Notice verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that he should make the promises of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore? Then serveth, the, uh, uh, then serveth the law. It was added because of transgression, so the seed should come to whom the promises was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Notice verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. And here's what he's saying. It was never about the law. The law cannot save you. The law cannot uh, help you. The law cannot do anything for you. Notice, skip down to verse number uh, uh, 20. Well, yeah, I was going to say 28, but look at verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are the children of God. Notice, ye are the children of God. This is Paul speaking to Galatian Gentile believers. Ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all in, all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, don't miss it, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Now look, according to the Bible, who's Abraham's seed? Because here's what the dispensationalists want you to believe. There's a bunch of Jews out there, so-called Jews, in their synagogues, which the Bible calls the synagogue of Satan, and we're supposed to bless them. You know, I'm supposed to bless Seinfeld and Spielberg and all these Jews out there that reject Christ, right? That's what John Hagee would have you to believe. That's what Left Behind wants you to believe, that the Jew, those are God's people, and God just gave them a free pass, and we have to bless them and whatever. Look, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that in the New Testament, God did a new thing. 
in the New Testament, there was this mystery revealed where God was done with the nation of Israel. He's not dealing with nations anymore. And he says, it's all about Christ. It's all in Christ. He said, in fact, I've taken twain and made one new man. And Paul says, Paul says, this is a mystery that was revealed. And he says, now, he says, now you're heirs according to the promise. He said, you're part of, he said, you're, you're in Ephesians 2. He says, you're of the commonwealth of Israel. You're no longer strangers or foreigners. He says, you are partakers of his promise. Now, now go back to Ephesians chapter 3. And here's, here's what's really interesting to me. Is that in Ephesians 3, Paul, and, and really in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he used these words predestination. And we talked about that and we explained what the Bible actually teaches about that, not what Calvinists teach about that. And then in, 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 in Ephesians 3, he uses this word, dispensation. And Zionists have a, a theology, a, a doctrine they teach, the doctrine of dispensations, that they use to bring in all this false prophet, not a prophet, uh, false teaching. And I don't have time to develop all that in one sermon. We have a documentary on dispensationalism, and I'd encourage you to check it out. It's on our YouTube channel. It explains everything you need to know. But what's funny is that Paul actually mentions the word dispensation, because the word dispensation is not used that often in the Bible. He actually mentions it in this chapter, and this is the chapter that destroys the doctrine of dispensationalism. I think it's kind of funny. You know, you'd think that these guys would um, get a hint. It's almost like God did it on purpose. But notice what Paul says in verse 7, because in verses 1 through 6, he's talking about this mystery that was not revealed in other ages. You say, well, that kind of sounds like dispensations. Okay, well, hold on a second. What the dispensationalists teach about dispensations, and, and you, if you talk to different ones, they'll give you different things, but the mainstream dispensational, uh, dispensationalism teaches that there were seven major dispensations, and that in those dispensations, salvation was different in each one of those. And they've got the dispensation of conscience and the dispensation of government and the dispensation of the law. And right now we happen to be in the dispensation of grace. So salvation is by grace for us, but it's not for anybody else. And later it'll be, and they've got these dispensations. Now you say, well, but doesn't the Bible have this idea that God dealt differently with different people? Yes, it does. You know what? It, you, there's two dispensations of the Bible. You know what they're called? The Old Testament, the New Testament. And here's the thing. Salvation was the same in both. It was by faith calling upon the Lord. Now, did things change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Yeah. We're reading all about it. There was a mystery revealed that wasn't uh, uh, known before. Notice verse 7, Ephesians 3, 7. Wherefore, Paul says, because of this mystery that was revealed, wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that since, because he says there's this mystery, then in verse 7 he kind of shifts gears and he talks about the minister of the Gentiles. And he says, there's the mystery of Christ, and because of the mystery of Christ, I was made a minister to the Gentiles. And throughout the New Testament, I don't have time to develop this, but throughout the Old Testament, you'll find that Paul uh, talks about the fact that he was called to reach the Gentiles. Let me just show you a few verses on that real quickly. Go to Acts chapter 9. You're there in Matthew. If you, if you start in Matthew, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 9, look at verse 15. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Acts 9.15, the Bible says this, But the Lord said unto him, 
Now, in Acts 9.15, we're jumping into the, uh, the, the conversion story of Paul. He was on the road to Damascus. Jesus interrupted his journey. He went blind. He went to Damascus. He's been there for three days. And in Acts 9.15, Jesus is speaking to his man, Ananias, getting Ananias to go preach the gospel to Paul because Paul got saved the same way everybody else gets saved. Somebody preached the gospel to him. He called upon the name of the Lord. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. Because Ananias is like, wait a minute, this guy is killing people. You want me to go preach the gospel to him? And he says, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Notice what Jesus said about Paul before he even got saved. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Go to Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 47. Just flip a few chapters over. Acts 13, verse 47. Notice what the Bible says. Acts 13, 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us. Now this is Paul on his missionary journey with Barnabas. Notice what he says. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the end of the earth. Go to Romans chapter number 11. You're there in Acts? Just flip one book over. Romans chapter number 11. And look at verse number 13. Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. And of course, this is Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost as he is speaking the book of Romans and Tertius is writing it down. Romans eleven thirteen. notice he says, For I, Paul, speak to you Gentiles insomuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And this is what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians 3, if you make your way back there, is that because of the mystery of Christ that was revealed in the New Testament, which is this, that it's not about the nation of Israel anymore. It's not about their priests and their temple. It's not about that anymore. He said that was the Old Testament, but now we're in a New Testament. God is doing a new thing, and He's made of twain one, and you can just come to Christ uh, uh, through believing in faith, but you don't have to do all that other Jewish stuff. He's like, that's not needed. He said because of that mystery that was revealed, then Paul says, I was made a minister to the Gentiles because someone needed to go to the Gentiles and tell them this story. Somebody needed to tell them, hey, you don't have to join the nation of Israel in order to follow Jehovah God. God is doing a new thing. And here's what Paul called that. In fact, if you look at verse 2 of the chapter, he said this, For ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you word. And, and here's what dispensationalists will say. Yes, he won the dispensation of grace. But he's not talking about some era or some time frame that we are living in that now we can get saved by grace. He's saying, look, that dispensation of grace was given to me. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm saying. Whenever you look up that word dispensation in the Bible, and it's not in there very much. In fact, let's look at a few. Go to Colossians. You're there in Ephesians. Philippians, Colossians. Dispensation of grace is referring to the fact that Paul is saying, I am a minister of the Gentiles, and my job was to go and dispense the grace of God, the gospel of God, to the Gentiles. The word dispensation comes from the word dispense, which means to deal out, to distribute. And he says, look, I'm dispensing the grace of God to the Gentiles. Look, look at Colossians 1.23. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of, notice, notice the context, from the hope of the gospel, 
which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. He says, Wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. He said, I was made a minister to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Look at verse 25. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. What is he talking about? He's saying, look, I was made a minister to go and dispense the gospel to you. I was made a minister to go to the Gentiles and say, you don't have to become part of the nation of Israel. You don't have to become a Jew. That's an Old Testament thing. In the New Testament, God has done a new thing. He says there's a new body. There's a new temple. It's a spiritual nation. There's a new nation. There's there's neither Jew nor Greek. It's the nation. It's the people. It's the peculiar people of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and look at verse number 16. Notice, I just want to show you that in the Bible, dispensation is talking about dispensing the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So notice, you say, oh, what what should we think about? What are all these dispensations about? Well, if you read the Bible, it's just about dispensing the gospel. Distributing the gospel. Dealing out the gospel. Going to the unsaved and saying, hey, you can be saved. And I'm a minister. Paul says, I have been made a minister to the Gentiles. And Paul was specifically made a minister to the Gentiles because these Jews that were saved were struggling with this idea about, yeah, but do they have to kind of be Jewish? Do they kind of, do they, you know, maybe they shouldn't eat things sacrificed to idols or maybe they shouldn't, you know, or maybe they should do the washings or do they need to get circumcised? And they were talking certain of them to get circumcised. And Paul says, look, no, God has done a new thing. It's not about the nation of Israel anymore. Now go back to Ephesians 3, and let me show you just a couple more things. We'll finish up. I said, number one, we talked about the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ. And then secondly, we saw that Paul was made a minister of that mystery. He was made a minister of the gospel. But I want you to notice, lastly, that Paul talks about the manifold wisdom of God. And notice what he says. And this is what really destroys dispensationalism. Now, Everything we've said already should have already destroyed dispensationalism because we looked at the Bible talking about dispensations and it's just dispensing the grace of God, dispensing the gospel, getting, getting the gospel to unbelievers. But then Paul says this. It's almost like God knew, like God knew that there would be this weird, stupid doctrine called dispensationalism. And, and in the chapter where he uses the phrase, the dispensation of the grace of God, he kind of just, he makes sure that Paul just destroys dispensationalism in that chapter. Look at verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Notice what he says. Which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Do you understand what he just said? Because here's what he said. He said, there was a mystery 
that was not revealed in the Old Testament, you would have never got it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had to become a Jew in order to follow Jehovah God. But he said, now in the New Testament, there's this, this mystery has been revealed to us, and now we know that God is not dealing with nations. God is not dealing with physical temples. There's a spiritual nation. There's a spiritual temple. God has done a new thing. He has brought twain and made one. There's a new body. There's a new temple. But then Paul says this. Paul says, lest you think you were plan B, dispensationalists. He says, know this, that to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world, hath been hid in God. He said, this has been God's plan from the beginning. God who created all things by Christ Jesus. And doesn't the Bible say that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? He says, to the intent. Now, here's what he's saying. Because again, what does dispensationalism teach? It teaches that there are these dispensations. And when we began with Adam and Eve, there was the dispensation of conscience. And they were saved by not eating of the tree. Now look, if you read the story, it's very clear that they died because they ate of the tree. They weren't saved by not eating of the tree. They weren't even condemned. But they'll say, well, salvation was by not eating the tree. But Adam and Eve failed God, you know, his plan didn't work. So then God had to create a new dispensation. So then you had, then God instituted government, the Tower of Babel, and you've got the dispensation of government. And I always chuckle at that one because I'm like, have you ever been to the DMV? I mean, God should have known how that one was going to work out. The dispensation of government? Are you serious? You know, but they were saved, you know, and then after that, now you have the Mosaic Law, and you've got the dispensation of the law, which, again, Noah was saved by grace. Abraham was saved by believing in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. David was saved by faith, not of works. All of this is what the Bible says, but this is what dispensationalists teach you. And then, you know, you had the government, but that all ended in chaos, and God had to destroy the world with a flood. And, and here's what they teach. They teach that God has these plans, but God's plans keep failing. And that every time, God has to make a new plan. And, and when the children of Israel messed up, because, you know, they accidentally crucified his son, then he's like, okay, well, now I'm going to have to do something different. And he brings in the church age, or the grace age, or whatever they want to call it. And see, see, their God is this God that's just kind of like, I'm trying something, doesn't work, I'm trying something, doesn't work. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, the Bible tells us, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God. Look, the plan was always Jesus Christ from day one. The plan was always, the plan of God has always been uh, what, what he's doing. And he says, yes, this was hidden from you, but this has been God's plan all along. Notice verse 10. And in verse 10, he says something I think is extremely interesting. I don't know, maybe you won't think it's, I think it's, it's kind of fascinating. And I feel like it's Paul trying to say, now look guys, because here's what he said so far. He's, he's looking at these uh, Gentile believers, but he's letting them in on a secret. And he's saying, in the Old Testament, they didn't know. They didn't know that it wasn't all about them and it was all about Christ. He said, they didn't know that, but this has been God's plan the whole time. This has been what God was going to plan the whole time. And then in verse 10, I feel like he's trying to say, now don't go and start thinking that they're stupid, okay? It's not their fault. He said, because in verse 10 he says, not only did they not know, he says the angels. He says the angels themselves didn't even know. Now notice what he says in verse 10. I think it's really interesting. He says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now you say, what is that referring to? I believe that's a reference to 
the spirit beings that you and I would call angels. Now, again, I don't have time to develop all this, but I'll just give you a a few quick uh, uh, thoughts. Go to Ephesians 2, look at verse 2. Throughout the Bible, angels and spiritual beings are called princes or principalities. Remember when we were studying the book of Ezekiel? You had the prince of Tyre, right? But then we learned that the prince of Tyre was in the Garden of Eden, and he was uh, cherubim, and he was all these things. You know, he was Satan, but he's called the prince of Tyre. Notice in Ephesians 2.2, 2, we already covered this when we're in Ephesians 2, but let me remind you, when in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Talking about Satan, and he's called the prince of the power of the air. See, they're called principalities or princes, because here's what you need to know. The governments of this world are being run by the devil and his fallen angels. So before you get too excited about Trump, people always get mad at me. Ah, you know, why are you against Trump? Because the devil is running the USA. Because the princes and principalities uh, are running the world. They're running the show. Go to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 12. Ephesians 6, 12. This is a famous verse. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling. We're not fighting with human beings, flesh and blood. What are we fighting? We're fighting a spiritual warfare, he says, but against principalities. And powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So you notice that these angels, good or bad, the faithful angels and the fallen angels, they're both referred to as princes, principalities. Now go back to Ephesians 3, look at verse 10. Notice what he says. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What is the manifold wisdom of God? The manifold wisdom of God is that the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world, hath been hid in God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying the church, New Testament believers, the churches, they are making known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. Paul is saying we aren't just revealing to Jews, this plan, we're even revealing it to angels. Now, let me show you. There's another passage that kind of teases this out. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're almost done. We'll be done in two minutes. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you start at the end of the New Testament and head backwards, you have Revelation, 3rd uh, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Here's what I'm telling you. That up in heaven, the angels were like, what's going on, God? You know, I don't know if they talk to God that way. I'm sure they don't. But, you know, they're thinking to themselves, what's going on here? You're sending the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to crucify him? What's going on here? What's happening? And as all of this unfolded, even the angels themselves were like, whoa, God, you're smart. (laughs) Now we see your plan. Now we see what you've been doing. 1 Peter 1 and verse 10. Notice what he says. 1 Peter 1.10. 1 
of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. The prophets who wrote about Jesus coming, they were saved, they understood the doctrine of the Messiah, that they had to believe on a calling uh, by calling upon a Savior and calling upon the Lord. But they didn't have all the details, they didn't know the name Jesus, they had to call upon the name that was revealed to them, the I Am, the Almighty God. They, they didn't have all those details, but he says, look, the prophets, they inquired and searched diligently who prophesied the grace that should come unto you notice verse 11 searching what or what manner of time the spirit of christ which was in them did signify that in testified uh, when it testified beforehand the suffering of christ and the glory that should follow did you catch that they said look they they wish they could have known of all these details look at verse 12 unto whom it was does this word sound familiar revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Notice, which things the angels desire to look into. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the angels wish they could have done a nine chapters a day challenge. Is it, the angels wish they could have sat down and, and showed up uh, for a Bible study in the book of Ephesians where someone broke down verse by verse, chapter by chapter. They wish they could have known the mysteries. They look down and they're like, wow, if Paul really is writing that. That's really happening. He said the angels decided to look. He said the Old Testament prophets, they knew what that God was doing and God was in control and that it was faith and grace and calling upon God. They didn't know all the details. Here's what he's saying. They wish they had the information you have in this book. And you know what you and I do? We watch football. And let this thing get dust all over it. And the angels are like, really? Man, that's amazing. What God did and God's plan and God's working, how God has worked in man and through man and how God revealed himself and God has done something new. And you don't read it. And you're not excited about it. And you don't care about it. He said, the prophets wish they knew. He said, the angels wish they knew. Do you understand that you and I live in the greatest time that a believer could live in? We've got the entire word of God. We've got the Holy Spirit of God. Old Testament saints didn't have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them. We've got the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. We've got the word of God. We've got the, the freedom that God has given us in this country, the technology that God has given us to reach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you are actually considering, quit, considering quitting on God. Doing less. Retiring. And the angels are in heaven saying, man, we wish we had the opportunities you have. We wish, we wish that God, we wish that we could work with God and labor with God in the way that you do, go back to Ephesians 3, we'll look at two verses, we'll be done. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12. Notice what he says. Ephesians 3, 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, this has been the plan from the beginning. This has been the plan from the beginning. 
You are not plan B. You are not a mistake. You are not, God's not just dealing with the church because he's got the Jews on timeout and eventually he's going to get rid of you and he's going to go back to his favorites, the Jew. He said, this is the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And he says, you. Here's what he said. Here's what Paul would say in the Colossians. You and I get to be part of the greatest time in Christianity. They saw through a glass darkly, but we see faith through faith. He said, we, we understand the plan. We understand what God is doing. We understand that God has done something and is doing something in this world. And all you and I have to do is get excited about it. And go tell Psalm 1. Because the dispensation of the grace of God is not an era. It is a message that has been given to us to give to the world. So do it. So get excited about it. So read your Bible and realize that God, God has done something new in the world. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, your word and thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I just, I just pray that you would help us to realize that we, we hold, like we talked about, about the word of God, we, we, we hold in our hands the mind of God. I mean, we, we hold in our hands everything and anything that we need to know about life, about marriage, about rearing children, about our health, about our finances, your plan in this world and the plan you have for us, we hold in our hands and we ignore it. And we just ignore it. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to get excited about it. That you've revealed yourself to us. You have made known to us the eternal purpose of Christ. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to go tell someone. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.